0: Today's scripture reading comes from Acts chapters 3 and 4. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us, and he fixed his attention on them And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered in Jerusalem, with Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this?
1: Here in the first of a new year, 2021, and uh, all of January, Lord willing, we are doing a short series that's reflected here on the screen behind us, Supernatural. And this graphic is meant to illustrate the difference between a shallow, superficial, even self centered type of life that even many professing Christians are living versus something that has depth, something that has resilience. Something that is substantive because it is tapped into the presence and the power of God. And we began last week talking about the what of your life. We were talking about your profession or your vocation. And last week, our big idea was that regardless of what specific work or career you are currently engaged in, maybe many of your students, But your primary vocation or your primary profession, regardless of the specifics, is that you are first an apprentice of Jesus, a follower, a learner, one who does what he does, and you are an ambassador for Jesus. You are one that shares him, that represents him, that furthers his kingdom mission as it intersects with your work and your relationships And even your leisure now this morning we come to the second question in this five-part series and this question is how how do i do that how do i live the kind of life that is pleasing to jesus christ and when i ask the question how some of you are immediately deflecting to in what manner and some of you are immediately going to by what means, because we use how to mean both of those things. So to illustrate the difference between those, let's say I came to you and said, how do you make a pizza? And some of you would immediately say, well, here's the recipe. I put this much of this ingredient and you flour and water and yeast. And then I you know, get the cheese and the sauce and all these different toppings. And I bake it at such and so for 15, 20 minutes. And that's how I make a pizza. And others, you would be thinking, well, you know, there's a way in which I make pizza, but there's a way in which the pizza just makes itself. Like if you put yeast in water with sugar, it gets activated and this kind of crazy supernatural process happens where the dough just starts to rise and expand. And then I put it in this hot place like the oven and the oven does this thing to it. And you're describing not the manner or the recipe you're describing the means like kind of the power by which the pizza is actually made. Well, at the end of the month, I want to come back and talk about the manner of our mission or the manner of our life. That'll be week five, Lord willing. But today I want to talk to you about the idea of the means of your life, the power of your life. In other words, what animates you? What drives you? What, where does your ability to do anything come from? And this morning we're going to talk about these, these four Ps. We have a problem. A pattern, a partnership, and a practice. So problem, okay, and I want to just highlight kind of two extremes. That is, we're trying to, perhaps even many of you are starting out this year, and you're like, I want to rely on God. I want to rely on his strength this year. And you're kind of walking this tightrope that you can fall off this side or this side. And I want to share what those two sides are, okay? So beginning here, just when I ask what empowers you, when I, when I just ask that question, what is, what is your ability? What strengthens you to do what you do on a normal day? And I'm talking mostly about the ordinary routine things that you do as somebody's son, daughter, maybe a parent, a friend, a coworker. Where does that strength come from? Where does that ability come from? And my guess is many of you never even think about it. You go through the course of your day, you get to the end of your day, or maybe you're two-thirds of the way through a normal day. And has it ever occurred to you, like, wow, it's 4 o'clock, or I just got home from work, or I'm laying my head down on my pillow at night, and this is the first time all day that I've had a conscious, deliberate thought about God or about my need for the Lord's presence in my life, his favor in my life. And so the first thing I want to point out, the first danger, the first problem is what I call the subtle danger of self-reliance. Just the fact that many of us, maybe most of us, if we are not deliberate about where does my strength come from, we will go on autopilot. We will default to simply living every day in our own strength, by our own resources, with our own wisdom, and so on. And I don't think most of us are intentionally rebelling against God when we do this. It's not the idea of a conscious, like, shaking your fist at heaven and being like, I don't need you. And some people are that way. They are consciously rejecting the power or the leadership of God in their life. But, but most of us, I don't think that's the case. I think we're just okay enough. Like, things are just mediocre enough. We're not desperate for God, not desperate for God. I actually think one of the graces of a pandemic year is that many of you who had very few conscious thoughts of God throughout the day, probably now more than before, are conscious of, man, I really need God. For some of the stuff I used to just do on autopilot, I recognize how much I need God. Okay, so where does this self-reliance show up? Maybe in a career. And we talked last week about how many of you, you know, it's like, I'm a dentist. I'm a nurse. I'm, a, I'm an architect. I'm an engineer. I'm a school teacher. I'm a delivery driver. I'm a plumber. I'm an electrician. What's the Christian way of doing that? And you can go to your career and just be like, I'm just doing my thing. Like, I, I recognize I need the power of God if I'm going to go share my faith and work myself up. Like, oh, be courageous. Be bold. Go share Jesus. But maybe in your career, maybe in leisure time, maybe in relationships, maybe even in Christian living, it doesn't occur to you how desperately you need the power of God. What I mean about Christian living is when you read the Bible or when you hear it taught, how many of you are like, cool, I'm on it. I mean, no problem. Like God God tells me not to do certain things. God tells me to do other things like worship him alone. I'll do that. Or how many of you think something like as you're reading through a passage of Scripture or a story, Lord, I want to do that. That is the longing of my heart, to walk with you in that way. But how? How can I do that realistically? Because we ought to sense at times when we're reading through Scripture what God calls me to do and not do is not just a burden, as many people think it is, and it's not just something that's like, oh, that's gonna be challenging. We should read it sometimes and be like, that is impossible unless God shows up in my life, okay? So when Jesus was teaching his disciples about forgiveness, remember this in Luke 17, and Jesus says, listen, if you wanna follow me, if you wanna learn from me, if you wanna be like me, when your brother sins against you, you need to forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in one day and comes to you seven times and says, repent, you need to forgive him. And do you remember the disciples' reaction at that simple teaching on forgiveness? They did not say, cool, on it, got it, no problem, that makes sense. They said, increase our faith. They recognized, how in the world am I going to do that, Jesus? Jesus. Like, are you crazy? If someone comes to me and hurts me deeply and does it seven times in a day and you're just saying, well, just continue to forgive them. They recognize that's impossible. I can't do that. Or what about the apostle Paul in Romans 7 that when he learns about the law of God, and I mean really begins to learn about the law of God, he's not like, I'm on it. Guys, I'm a Pharisee. Okay, We know how to obey the rules of God. Now, when he actually starts to get it, and this is the guy that wrote half of the New Testament, he says, when I look at my own heart and my own desires, as much as I want to do the things that please God, I feel half of me, like this old person, torn. And I keep doing these things that I don't want to do, and I'm not doing the things that I want to do. And he cries out, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And if, it, if at least sometimes we are not feeling that angst of, God, I want to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want to love my neighbor as I already love myself instinctively. But how can I do that? I do not find within myself the heart or the power or sometimes even the desire to do that. How do I forgive a person When you see from heaven how deeply that person has hurt me, how do I overcome that addiction that I don't control it? It controls me, and I feel like a slave. How do I go on living a generous life when, frankly, Lord, there are things that I want to do with my time and money that don't align with a generous lifestyle? How do I do that? Okay, several years ago, we had this group of friends from a former church in the Carolinas, that we would go to this indoor rock climbing gym, and we would often we had a couple of belay partners, and we would often just invite someone else from the college group to come along. So this one kid, very strong, good kid, he's he's climbing for what was his first time or one of his first times, and uh, and and he was a good climber so long as there were decent holds. But I I still remember this this one point that he reaches where it's kind of the the crux of this particular route if he can make it past this hardest part he's going to probably make it all the way to the top and touch out and belay down right but he's stuck and it was so much fun to watch Uh, because he's he's spread out you know a hand up here and a hand here but all his weight really was on one toe and if you've ever done this climbing um, there's a fatigue that sets in when you're standing on one toe for a period of time. And so his back leg is just shaking like a jackhammer. And you can tell, like, it's, a, it's about to go. And we're hollering up to him, like, because he's top belayed, which means you can kind of give a little tug on the rope to pull him up just a little. And we're like, do you want help? And he's like, no, I, I got this myself. And we're waiting and waiting, and the leg starts to shake worse and worse. And we're like, do you want help now? He's like, no, I can do it, you know, and, and, uh, and we let him fall. So not fall, fall, but just <laughs> not make it so that he would learn a lesson about accepting help. But I, I think as silly as that example is, it illustrates this important point. If you are a self-reliant person, you will only ever be able to do what you can do. You may have more wisdom than someone else. You may have more money than someone else. You may have more connections, like a network to help you than someone else. You may have more physical strength or emotional strength than someone else. But if you're self reliant, you will only ever be able to do your best work. You will never truly experience something supernatural. Okay? And that's the danger of self reliance. Now, On the opposite extreme, let me talk to you for a moment about the serious misconception of sensationalism. So sensationalism is this idea, we look back at scripture, we see in the early church when the spirit comes in power. There are all kinds of signs and wonders, miracles. We read about one of those this morning, right? Peter says to this lame man, rise and walk that sits outside the temple. And everyone knows who this guy is because he's a known figure. Like that guy sat there day after day after day. People knew that he was really lame. You know, the Spirit came and people spoke in tongues, which means they spoke foreign languages that they had never taken the time to learn. And other people are interpreting those languages and telling people who had gathered at Pentecost to worship God in all these different languages that nobody had ever learned. And it's easy for people today to look at those stories and be like, now that's what it looks like to experience the power of God. I want that. And I'm seeking that kind of gift. And here's just a word of caution, okay? Is it wrong to seek that kind of gift? Like, Lord, if you would want to come in power on my life and work through me in a way that is truly countercultural, like mind-blowing, amazing, miraculous. So I don't I don't think from what I understand of scripture, that it's wrong to ask God to perhaps do something like that through you and to celebrate it when God does do that as he is all over the world right now, especially in third world places where the name of Jesus is first going forward. We still hear about miracles like this often. But the caution is, if you read the balance of the New Testament, you realize the Holy Spirit shows up in power in many different ways. And most of the time, it looks fairly ordinary And my point is, if you're only looking for the sensational, you're only seeking the sensational, you will miss most of the ways the Spirit tends to work day to day. So let me give you a couple examples. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And you're like, yeah, so we can go do miracles and speak in tongues. Except what follows that is The recognition that he's simply saying, because your real day-to-day battle is not with those other people of that other political persuasion. It's not someone who disagrees with you about one of these cultural war issues. It's not another race or another gender. It's not single people versus married people. It's not any of those categories. He says, your real struggle is against spiritual darkness. And you are going to need the power of the Spirit on your life. Ephesians 6 goes on to say, if you just want to stand for the truth and live a righteous life and be at peace, if you want to read the Word of God and pray with power, you're going to need the presence and power of the Spirit for that. Or here's another one. Romans 15 verse 13 Paul prays for this church in Rome. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound. And again, we're like, abound in the miraculous, the sensational, the incredible, the mind blowing. And what he says is, so that you may abound in hope. How do you maintain hope in the midst of challenging circumstances? Painful circumstances, brokenness, divorce, the loss of a job, homelessness, addiction. Paul says you need the power of the Spirit of God to hold on to hope. So my second caution is just beware of always seeking something incredible, something mind-blowing, something that really, if we were honest, may be more about us than it is about God. Like people look at you and be like, wow, I wish I could be like you, because look at how the Spirit works through you, rather than just like, look at the Spirit. So it is just as supernatural, friends, when God forgives one sin. When God gives hope to one despondent person, when God sets one person free from a controlling addiction, it is just as supernatural. So to look at nature for a moment, sometimes God's power looks like a violent thunderstorm. And you, like me, may, may, may love those kinds of things, not the damage that they do, but just the sense of awe and power, just raw freaky scary stuff like bolts of lightning and how beautiful it is and that feeling that you feel when the hair stands up on the back of your neck because there's that much electricity in the air and sometimes the power of God is like that but sometimes the power of God is like this little tiny seed that goes in the ground but with inexorable power the husk rots and falls away And the seed germinates, and new life comes forth, and new fruit is born. Because oftentimes, doesn't the New Testament say that the power of God is like that second one? You can't stop the advance of the kingdom of God. No one can stop the advance of the kingdom of Jesus. But a lot of times, instead of coming in signs and wonders and the miraculous, which is fine to pray that God does, just don't miss it because you're only seeking the sensational Okay, so that's the problem. Now, our pattern. So if, what I'm saying with pattern is if, if I want to experience this kind of power, can I turn in Scripture and read anywhere a, a pattern, someone else's habits maybe, that enable me to experience the same kind of power? And the answer is yes, and it's actually Jesus. And that may surprise some of you because we may look at Jesus on the one hand and say, well, yes, I understand that he had supernatural power. I mean, he calmed storms by simply saying, hush, be quiet. He cast out demons who, again, if you're reading the same reading plan I am right now, you read about one of these this last week where this this legion of demons recognized we know who you are. And they have to flee because Jesus is more powerful than them. We see him healing infirmities, even raising the dead. You know, multiplying one little kid's meal to feed thousands of people on a hillside by the Sea of Galilee. We see these things. But you may say, well, wait a second. I I thought he was able to do that because he's the son of God. He's the creator of the world. And that's true in a sense. But If you actually go to the New Testament, you say, how did Jesus have this supernatural power and wisdom and grace? Well, it's interesting because Philippians 2 says that when the eternal Son of God, Jesus, when he became a human being, he humbled himself and became a servant. Philippians 2 says he laid aside He voluntarily set aside the free exercise of all of his own power, all of his own glory, all of his own majesty, and it was because he was accepting the limitations of now also being a human being, okay? So he's laid aside his power to come and be limited as a baby in a manger, helpless, dependent on his mom to feed him, okay, So where do the miracles come from? Well, Peter says in Acts 10, 37, as he's preaching, he says, You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. This is incredible. So, if, as we said last week, your life is all about apprenticeship to Jesus, learning from Jesus, doing as Jesus did, where did Jesus get his power from according to this text? Well, how many of those nights when the disciples were like, yes, we've got the people, you know, the devil's on the run. We've got throngs of people following us. We've got all kinds of momentum. Tomorrow's going to be amazing. And they're like, hey, where's Jesus? Well, he's off on a mountain by himself praying. Depending on the Father, depending on the Spirit, praying, Father, would you continue to fill me with the Spirit's power so that I may continue to minister as you'd have me minister. So, the pattern that Jesus models for us is this humble people walk in the presence and power of God. Proud people just go it alone, they just do it in their own strength. But, humble people are people who Well, let's let's just look at the disciples for a second. So right after Jesus died, the disciples are despondent. They're in despair. They're terrified. They're on the run for their lives. They go back to their former vocations. Not one of them is out preaching a sermon. Not one of them is out healing someone else. Not one of them is like secretly writing one of the gospels at this point. They're locked behind closed doors and they're like, it's over because Jesus is dead. Not one of them went to the tomb on Easter morning to even see if it was possible that what Jesus said about power over death was real and that he'd actually come back, but he did. And he met with them and he told them these famous words in Acts 1.8. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And guess what happened? Jesus goes back to heaven and they all gather in this room and they're like, "Um, so we better pray. And they just prayed and prayed and prayed, which is a way of saying they just depended on God. They got humble and said, Jesus, we need that power that you spoke of. And that's when the spirit comes, Acts chapter two, and they're filled with power and they preach and they heal and they love people and they forgive people. Okay, so then how do we get that kind of supernatural power? What is the nature of that power? This is point three, our partnership. So let me just back up to the beginning of your salvation. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's because at some point the Spirit, part of what he did in power is he brought conviction for sin. Or he brought conviction like Paul over like, I'm in bondage. I'm not as free as I think I am. I can't overcome my own problems in my own strength. So, Jesus, I need you, and I turn from my sin, which is called repentance, and I trust in you, Jesus, to to make the payment for my sin, to make me right with God. You know, we call that salvation, but salvation is way more than like a one-way ticket to heaven because so many of the gifts of salvation are given to you right now for life in this world. And one of those gifts is the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is how Paul to the early church could say, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? My point is that if you're a follower of Jesus, you you believe in Jesus imperfectly, as we all do. But you believe in Jesus. He is your hope. The Bible says you already have the presence and power of the Holy Spirit within you. But again, my question is how often or how deliberately do you access that power? Galatians 5.25, Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And what I hear him saying is you do live by the Spirit of God. Your physical biological life and your spiritual life, regeneration are gifts of the Spirit of God. And he's saying, and if that is true, then take your next step in his power. Walk in him, surrender to him, enjoy his presence, call on his presence. So I wanna illustrate it like this. This little thing that I carry on Sunday mornings is a super cool device that I don't understand, but I kinda know something of how it works. So there's a device, this, this little black device that's designed to pick up my voice with this little microphone and somehow transmit it into outer space, and then somehow get it back to the antenna back there, which then amplifies over all of these speakers. This black box was designed to do that. But inside this black box, there are batteries, and if I take the batteries out, guess what happens? Nothing. Nothing. Because even though the device was designed to transmit my voice over the sound system, if the power isn't there, it doesn't work. A Couple other cool things here. There's an on off button. So even if the batteries are in and I turn it to the off position, the battery's power cannot flow to the device and nothing happens. And then there's one more cool thing which sometimes I forget about. And that is the mute switch on top. And if I flip that over, and I'm not going to do it now because then we'll lose you on the live stream, but my voice would be muted. It would still be on, but it would be silencing that voice. And I think this, in a sense, is a picture of all of our lives. You are like this device. You are designed by a gracious God, a brilliant God, a creative God, to carry a voice, to have power. But then you need the batteries to me kind of represent the spirit. Like he's in there. He's present if you follow him in faith. But I wonder how many times we just kind of like turn it off. And we're like, yeah, the spirit's there. I'm following him. I trust him. I guess I could call on him if I need him, but I'm good. I got this. I'm fine. And I wonder how many times it's on and even by our own choice we mute him which disables the device from functioning as it's designed to to carry that voice. See, so I call this a partnership because God wants to work in you and he wants to work through you, but it requires two things. Let me just give these to you. This is your 3A and B. You must draw on God's power and you must do God's work. Okay, You must draw on the power that is present within you. That's your choice by faith. God, do this. I want this. I need this. And I need it to do your work. Okay? So those are both important because the supernatural power of God is not a commodity. It is not a means to an end. It is not you just fantasizing about, oh, I can do these amazing things. and Then people will be like, whoa, Matt, you're incredible. See, that's, that's using it for me. It's not necessarily using her for God. The the Holy Spirit is not this source that you draw on to make all of your wildest dreams come true. He is not a power boost to get you up into the stratosphere of some recognition somehow. He's not a little extra oomph for health and wealth, which is what you really want out of life. God's power is for God's work. So let me give you a couple examples. You want to make much of Jesus with your life? You wanna forgive that person you're finding it impossible to forgive right now? You wanna live a holy life that looks like Jesus life and not just like the mess of this world? You wanna experience joy right now in the midst of pain and sorrow and loss and brokenness? You wanna be deeply content, satisfied, even happy? In the midst of not having a whole bunch of things that you want and, yes, maybe even need. You want the wisdom to honor Jesus with an important decision in your life. You want to have the mind of Christ about what we talked about last week. How do I serve the kingdom purposes of God with my vocation, in my schooling, with my work and career, let alone my leisure and these other things? Then ask God for his supernatural power. Because though he resists the proud and says, you want to be proud, you want to do it in your own strength, you will only be as good as your strength mixed with all your weaknesses. But he gives grace, he gives power, he gives wisdom to the humble. So draw on God's power and do God's work. Now, in closing, I'm trying to be practical each week, just suggest a couple action steps for you. Like, what do I actually do with this? So it's not just like pie-in-the-sky theology in my head. It's the last thing we want here. We want to work it down into your heart, into your will, into your activity, in your ordinary life. So our practice. Number one, pay attention to the unspoken object or objects of your reliance. Pay attention to the unspoken objects of your reliance. Nobody here this morning would would, would probably say, I rely on me. I rely on my own bank account and savings. I rely on my college education or my postgraduate education. I rely on that last class that I just took. I rely on a mentor. You would not probably say that, but here's a question. When and about what do you pray and an action step would actually be make a, make a physical list of like here is all the stuff that on a daily, just ordinary day kind of level, this is the stuff I pray for. Then make another list, here's all the stuff I do that I don't pray for. Because what you're telling yourself is I don't pray for this stuff over here in this list because I think I can handle it. Why do I pray for this stuff? Because I know I can't. But when you're praying for God's power this is another perspective going back to the rock climbing illustration. Are you praying for God's power in a way that says, God, I am almost there. Like I'm 90% of the way there, 95%, 99% of the way there. I just need a little like power to pass from the Holy Spirit. I just need a little bit of help. And is that the kind of help that you're crying out for? Because if that's the kind of help that you think you need, even if the Spirit shows up, Is that really supernatural power just to say, I just need 1% more, God, or 5% or 10%? Are you saying, God, I, do you ever say, God, I don't even know where to start with this decision. I want to honor you. I want to have the power to shake off this sin and this habit and be done with it. I'm failing, God. Like I need not a little bit of help I need you and your power to take over. So this is what I mean by acknowledging just kind of the unspoken sources that you rely on instead of him, making lists and saying, what themes or patterns are emerging here? And is it possible that one of the reasons I'm not experiencing the supernatural power of God in my life is simply because I'm stuck on the very ordinary power of me? Action step two, do kingdom things that you can't do. What do you mean? That's, it's, that's a paradox. That's, a, that's an oxymoron. It is. Okay, here's my point. Reach for something that honors God that is way beyond your natural abilities and resources. Okay, some of you, you're not seeing the power of God, the wisdom of God, the grace of God. It's not showing up in your life as you may want it to because you're, you're playing it safe. Before you do something right that honors God, you're like, well, can I do that? Like, do I have what it takes to do that? Or am I going to get partway through this, and I'm going to run out of resources, and I'm going to look like a fool because I tried something that was beyond me? And, And by the way, Jim Collins, who does a lot of leadership training stuff, calls this a B-hag. Some of you have heard this. A big, hairy, audacious goal. And I think spiritually, I would love it if every single one of you had a BHAG for your spiritual life, for what you want to see God do in you, in your family, through the church, in our city, and around the world this year. And what I mean is not, not, ooh, watch me do this crazy thing. God, you better show up. I don't mean that. And that's why I said it's a kingdom thing that you can't do. In other words, God, help me serve this person or cause that is so beyond me. I don't know where to start, but I'm going to do the next right thing and the next right thing, and I'm going to take risks for the sake of your kingdom. And again, this is not a formula. This is not a magic trick that tacks on the name of Jesus. The power is in the relationship, not the ritual. The power is in the relationship. This is how Paul can say, if you are living by the Spirit, if you have a relationship with the Spirit, it is not now an incantation. It's not a ritual. It's not witchcraft. It is God. I honor you with the substance of my life. Be my power today. And let's just, spiritually, can we stop it with things that we know are safe and just like, yeah, I can do that. I got it. And can we stretch ourselves to say, God, if you don't show up in supernatural power, this is going to fail. But even if it fails, then what I have done, living fearlessly, living boldly, will be to the glory of your name. So identify what you tend to rely on. Do kingdom things you can't do. Then finally, look for Jesus what do I mean? Well, in John fourteen twenty six, Jesus has like three chapters here. John 14, 15, 16. Basically, he's saying, okay, I'm about to go away. No, Jesus, don't go. Like, what will we do if you're not with us? And he says, well, don't worry. If I go away, I will send the spirit who will not just be with you, like in the room with you. He'll be in you. And he says this, John fourteen twenty six. He will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. John 16:14 He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And by the way, here's a little challenge for you this week. Take take some part of the New Testament where the spirit is showing up. And what you'll find is when the spirit shows up with supernatural power in the New Testament, there's one common denominator. It's always about Jesus. He's not like ooh. Let me make much of Peter. Let me make much of Paul. Let me make much of um, Aquila and Priscilla, this married couple, and she was doing incredible things, by the way. But but it's not about them. It's always about Jesus. That's why I say whether God shows up and it's a sensational thing, and we're like God, thank you for showing all of us that miracle, and God can do that. We trust God for that. Or whether it's like God, I I forgave someone. I'm free of carrying this anger and this bitterness. Thank you, Jesus. In the text that Emma read earlier in Acts chapter 3 and 4, you notice like, that was the supernatural kind of thing that, that seems sensational. Wow, this lame man is walking, and the religious authorities pull him aside, and they're like, we demand to know how you did this. And they're like, well, it was the Spirit's power, but, but who gets the glory? Whose name is mentioned there? Jesus So that's why I say look for Jesus, because you know if the power of God is showing up and you are experiencing this supernatural, substantive depth and richness of the power of God in you and through you, you're going to find Jesus. So I'm back to this pattern. Humbly walk in the presence of power of God and expect him to work.